0: Last time that I was uh, filling in for Bob here on Wednesday night, we did Hebrews chapter one. Uh, This week, he is with a question and answer with the youth, so he's got me filling in uh, today and next week, and so what I'm going to try to do is get through Hebrews chapter two in the next next two weeks. Um, According to my notes, uh, Hebrews chapter two, this is sermon 17. And so I taught 16 sermons the last time on Wednesday night. And uh, so we're we're at Sermon 17, and uh, I'll try to push on through. So we're not going to get a verse-by-verse, real, real detailed um, teaching, but we will get kind of a quick, broad, uh, in-depth overview. So uh, as introduction, uh, verse 1 of chapter... To says, therefore, and so it's tying everything that was said in Hebrews chapter 1 and then content, continuing uh, forward. I think the last uh, Wednesday night that I talked, we also did the warnings. We'll talk a little bit about those again because I think that's important. But starting in verse 1, it says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received as just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bring many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered with, uh, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we will look at those verses. Beginning in verse 1, just to give you some uh, introductory and some summary information that will help us as we go forward to understand what's happening chapter two. We see that there's the word therefore, and we always ask what it's there for. It's a connecting word. Uh, if you look at scriptures, if you study scriptures long, what you'll notice is that it's pretty much like a chain. It, it, it's one argument connected to another, and we pull the chain out, and we study that little little uh, nugget, but we also want to keep that change connected in his context, uh, because the context is king, and context is what's going to give us the right meaning uh, of the the text. And So if we know what happened in uh, chapter 1, we we saw that Jesus is a better mediator than the angels, uh, that Jesus is God's son. He never called an angel a son. Jesus is the heir of the kingdom of the earth. He is the creator of heavens and the earth. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He sustains it. Jesus atoned for and purified us from our sin. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus has the most excellent name. Jesus is the firstborn of the only begotten. Jesus is Worshiped by angels, Jesus is king forever. Jesus is angel, uh, uh, Jesus has angels serve him, and Jesus is infinite, eternal, unchanging, and judge of the world. Therefore, based on those realities, those truths, we get to chapter 2 and it says we must pay much more closer attention. I think that phrase. It's very important in understanding the warning passages. There's four of them in Hebrews. It's very important that we understand that phrase uh, because what we know in every audience, in every church, uh, there's different kinds of people. If you, if you read the uh, parable of the sower, uh, you'll see four kinds of hearts. Well, there's four kinds of people. There's maybe in here, uh, you have uh, you have some <clears throat> never heard the word of God. No concern about the word of God. Perhaps you are here because somebody made you come here, or maybe you just wandered in, wondering what we do in here, and you have no clue, no understanding whatsoever in the word of God. You're you're just here. There's others who may have maybe seeking and wanting to understand, so you're here to learn. You're you're, inter- you're interested. Uh, you're, you're, you're seeking you're wondering what it's all about uh, there's others that may be intellectually knowledgeable of scriptures but you don't have you don't have any kind of commitment you don't have any kind of, of love for God uh, It's all head knowledge you know you hear, you hear pastors say sometimes that some people will miss heaven by about 12 inches because all of this information is up here and it's never gotten down here. Uh, There's the the other people, the other kind of people that are in a congregation or in any any group are those who know about God and who are fully convinced and fully committed to following Christ. Understanding those four kinds of people, we can see in these warning passages that that the writer of Hebrews is is singling out uh, these individuals and speaking directly to them. Right? When, I'm, when, when a pastor is speaking or anybody speaking, <clears throat> we may say things that is directed to a specific uh, 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 kind of a person. I, I could speak to those who have never been in the church. Right? I, could, I could speak to those that have head knowledge but over, uh, only heart knowledge. Well, if you love God and you fully commit it, what should be your response to what's being said? Well, that phrase that I just read, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. Okay? I'm talking about warning passages. When you have a warning, what does a warning always warn you of? Something Something that's going to happen. You don't see any kind of warning that says warning, something good is about to happen to you. That's not a warning, right? A warning, if you you smoke these cigarettes, you may get cancer. If you drink this poison, it will kill you. For outward use only, do not ingest. Road uh, bridges freeze before roadways do. All of those have some kind of a danger. Beware road is out, bridge is out, or whatever. There's something that's coming down the road that is dangerous. And if you don't adhere to that warning, it's life threatening. Okay? And that's what these warning passages are for. So I might, or the writer of Hebrews, was probably talking to somebody that had head knowledge but didn't have heart knowledge, but he wants all of us, even if we love God and are fully committed to him, we want to be more attentive to what we're hearing. Right? Uh, When you you have a, a, a poison symbol on your medication, or you have a warning on your medications and your, your wife or your spouse has medications and, and they have one. You're, you make sure that you check the label because you don't want to take the wrong medication, right? You're, you're sensitive to that. You're, 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 you're heightened to the reality that you can't take that medication without it hurting you because that's not, you, that's not what you should be taking. Okay, so that's the same response that we should have when we hear that Hebrews warns us about something, all of us should be more attentive, paying much closer attention, because of everything that has been said so far in Hebrews chapter one, and as we continue in Hebrews chapter two, we're eventually in Hebrews chapter two and three, coming to another warning of passage that we that we need to that we need to uh, res- respond to. Okay, because we want to pay much closer attention, and the reason is is because we need to be concerned with the fact that if we drift, we may not be saved. Four passages in Hebrews, and a lot of pastors will use Hebrews or when they're teaching Hebrews, will say that you can lose your salvation. We'll, we'll get to this later. And I don't know if it's in Hebrews 2, it might be in Hebrews 3, um, but we'll get to this later. Basically, the teaching is, you are, you are the household of God if you hold fast God's truth to the end, okay? So it doesn't say you become God's house if you hold fast to the end, It says you are of God's house if you hold fast to the end. Two very significant differences. right? One is that we have to continue to strive and we have to continue to do so that we will be in God's house. But that's not what it says. It says that you can tell that you are in God's house if you are holding fast to God's truth. If you are striving to the end. So if you find yourself drifting, what you need to ask yourself is, did I lose my salvation? No, you didn't lose your salvation. If you drift away, it just proves that you weren't of the household of God. Right? One of the things that you'll learn when you study scriptures is that you have to uh, uh, allow scriptures to interpret itself. In other words, scriptures doesn't contradict itself. And so so you have to let scriptures guide you when you find a, a, a passage like you think that maybe you can lose your salvation. Well, What does other scriptures in the Bible teach us? Well, the Bible teaches us that if God began a good work in you, he will carry it through to completion. Right, so how do you know that God began a good work in you? Because he is carrying you through to completion. How do you know that you're in the household of God? Because God began a good work in you and you're holding fast because God is carrying you to completion. God, in another place of scripture, it says God saved you to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. He saved you to be future conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. He saved you for the end result, not the beginning. He saved you, but it's to be conformed into his image. So how do you know that he saved you? Because you are conforming into his image. You are holding fast to the truths. You are seeking scriptures. You are following Christ. So... God is striving in you, and you are striving with God. Right? It is God who is working in you to what? Will and to act according to his good purpose. So how do you know that God is working in you? Because you are willing and acting according to his good purpose. You can never separate God from salvation. You can never separate God from sanctification. You can never separate God from salvation. Glorification, because God is always working in you to work out what he desires you to be working out. Okay, so you don't lose your salvation. So you're striving, you're holding fast to the truth, is the fruit of the fact that you are of the household of God. It's, It's proof that you are. If you're not, right, over in James it says if if they have gone out from us that proves that they were never a part of us. So somebody comes into church, wants to join the church, becomes a member of the church, gets baptized, comes to church every single Sunday for a certain amount of time, a certain period, uh, Something happens, they leave the church, never see them again. Do they have any confidence whatsoever that they're saved? No. Because if they were of the household of God, they would hold fast to the hope from the beginning to the end. Here's, Here's another one for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believed in him will have Everlasting life. What does everlasting life mean? Forever, forever ever. Does it ever stop? No, no. Okay. So if you think you have everlasting life, and then you stop, and then you go to do something else and serve another religion, go be a Buddhist or whatever, then guess what? You didn't. You never had everlasting life. You didn't have it because it didn't last forever, and that's and that's the point. Okay. Okay, I, I beat that enough. Okay, <clears throat> so listen to what it says here. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. Okay, so he's talking to those people who are intellectual but have not, do not have heart knowledge, but yet it says we. Why does it say we? Well, because the writer of Hebrews wants everybody who has heard Hebrews chapter 1 being taught to adhere to and listen to the warnings, right? So we can never sit in church and say, oh, the pastor must have been talking about those people over there. That's not for me. No, everyone that hears the words needs to adhere to the warnings. It's a time of examining ourselves, evaluating our way to ourselves to see if we're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And that's all present tense. Examine yourself today to see if you're in the faith. How do you know if you're in the faith? Because if you have Christ, you're in the faith. If you don't have Christ, you have been nullified from the faith. Right? Because when you're born again, you receive Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so if you have received the Spirit of Christ, then you should be able to examine yourself to see if the Spirit of Christ is within you. And if if you don't have the Spirit of Christ within you, guess what? You've been nullified from the faith. And once God gives you His Spirit, when He begins to dwell in you, He doesn't stop. God's not an Indian giver; He's not like, "Here, no, give me that back." Okay, okay, now here you go. No, give that back. He doesn't do that. Once He gives it, you have everlasting life. Once He gives you Christ, He has Christ. You have Christ. Right now, Baptists traditionally say, "Once saved, always saved." And I don't like that phrase. I think it's true, but I don't like that phrase. Because it's, I, I would rather say once believing, always believing. Once striving, always striving. Right? Once holding firm to the faith, always holding firm to the faith. Okay? And, uh, and so, the, so the word of God is for uh, everybody. <clears throat> All right. Uh, do not drift because God honored his word to the angels. Okay, if you if you if 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 you study the angels and how they um, how they were influential throughout the Old Testament, think about all of the things that you can think of in the Old Testament that the angels did. Uh, when, the, when, when Moses came out from Mount Sinai delivering the Ten Commandments, guess who was around was uh, surrounded? Angels. Uh, when uh, when uh, Jesus was being born. Uh, Who talked to Zechariah? Angel. Who talked to the Virgin Mary? An angel. Uh, When when Sarah was to be pregnant with child, how did they find out? An angel of the Lord. Right? So angels had a very prominent place uh, in the the Old Testament. They they delivered the Ten Commandments uh, and all all kinds of things. So the the, the argument here as we come into these warning passages is <clears throat> if, an, if an angel was there to assist in the deliverance of the Ten Commandments and when Israel broke the Ten Commandments they were judged and punished and, and that was just angels and now you have the Son of God telling us what his requirements are Do you not think that God will judge the words that come from his son's mouth more so than from the angel's deliverance of the Ten Commandments? Right? So all of Hebrews is talking about Jesus being much greater than the angels, much greater than Moses, much greater supreme over all things, greater than all things. And he says if all of these things in scriptures that's been taught and we've learned about whether it's tents and tabernacles or whether it's types of Christ and angels, whether it's Moses and the prophets and all of these things, if God honored his, his word through these lesser things, through these lesser people, then how much more will he honor his word through the greatness of his son? That's the, that's the point of, of, of Hebrews. That's the whole book of Hebrews. It, it's warning us and it's telling us If a whole entire generation died in the wilderness and didn't meet the promised land when Moses led them out of Egypt to go over to uh, the the land of Canaan, and and they were all killed in the desert because of their unbelief, because they didn't trust the Lord and strive with him, how much more now that his son has come and now he is leading us, and now he is speaking to us, how much more now, if we don't believe and we don't strive with Christ, how much more will we not enter into the promised land, which is heaven, which is Christ? Right? So it's arguing from lesser things to the great thing, Jesus Christ. In the latter times, Hebrews chapter 1, he spoke in various ways and... In various times and through many people and many means, but in these last days, in these latter days, he's speaking to us through his son. And so if he's honored his word through all of the Old Testament and all of the people and all of the things that spoke, and now he's talking to the son, how much more should we be attentive and adhere to what the son is being, is telling us in these last days, in these final days? Remember, I said that every single warning is is warning us because of something bad that will happen to us. If we smoke too many cigarettes, we'll get cancer, right? If we we drink too much, we'll we'll, we'll have liver problems, right? If If we drive too fast, we may have an accident and kill ourselves, right? If you don't adhere to the signs when it says that there's something up on the road and the highway, it could be it could be very detrimental. Well, the Bible says that God is just. The Bible says that He's going to judge the world and how they responded to to the to the Word of God. He, the Bible talks about a literal hell, which is which if you if you if you want to think about hell for a minute. <clears throat> everything that is good, I believe, is a foretaste of heaven. And everything that is bad is a foretaste of hell. And what I mean by that is we're going to have new bodies, and these new bodies are going to be able to expel- experience pleasure like never before. If you, think of, if you think about God and how much He wants to do for you, the reason why he can't do all that he wants to do before you is because your sinful body can't receive all that he wants to do for you. Take, a, take for a moment whatever your favorite thing is, back rubs, foot rubs. Uh, <clears throat> how long can you enjoy those before they start irritating you? It only feels good for so long, and then the skin starts burning and the muscle starts hurting because you're rubbing on it too hard and too long, and it doesn't feel good anymore. In, in heaven i believe that our bodies are going to be able to be able to experience a lot more pleasures a lot more things than what we than what we experience now so so whatever your joys are whatever your experience is think of it exponentially in heaven and and you and you might get to just a a minute little understanding of how glorious heaven is going to be. I'm going to look, look that minute. I'm watching time because I want to get to my next, next uh, seven minutes. But when you think about hell, hell is all of the pain, all of the fears, all of the suffering exponentially. It, it's, it's a place where it's like being burnt where the fire just, just doesn't stop burning. It's not consumed. It's the place where gnashing of teeth occurs have you ever been in so much pain and you go "Ah, oh God it hurts so bad that's kind of gnashing of teeth right It's, it's the place where worms don't die right it's, it's, a, it's a terrible place So think of all of the pain that you experience now you know I mean when, when it talks about hell. Hell is the place where, where all of your fears and pains become a ra- reality. Scared of the dark? It's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's the outer darkness. you scared of heights? It's a bottomless pit. Scared of, scared of fire burning to death? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending, never-consuming fire. Afraid of pain? It's a place where there's pain, and there is no, and there is no ibuprofen. There's, there's nothing that will satisfy. It. <clears throat> Worse than that, I mean, you could think of depression, anxiety, loneliness. All of that is going to be exponential in hell. So when it says, "Adhere to the warnings, pay much closer attention, consider Jesus and the words that He says." Because he, he, he punished the words that came from angels. How much more will he punish those who disobey the words that come from Christ? All right? So these warnings to us, we should, it, should, it should quicken our soul and our minds to be attentive to what's being, what is being said. Now, real quickly, we've got about 30 minutes. I think I can get through this. There's going to be a lot of Bible verses. But in this, in this passage, we, we read that, uh, that we, he quotes from the Psalms, he's talking about mankind, and then he talks about Jesus both. So, so when you read in the New Testament, and you come to a messianic psalm or something like that, that's talking about Jesus, first in its context, he's talking about mankind. He's talking about, men. It's talking about a time in, in history. So he says that we've been made a little lower than the angels, but right now we're a little bit lower than the angels. In the future or, or in past in history Jesus left, left heaven came down and became man so he was made a little bit lower than the angels and then he died, went to the grave, then he rose again and now he's the king of kings and lord of lords sitting at the right hand of God above the angels, above everything. And it says about us too, we'll get this in your mind, that we are a little lower than the angels. But there is a day coming when we are going to be raised and we're going to be equal to angels in the authority and the reign that they have. But we're also going to be God's sons. So we're going to be a little God's children. So we're going to be a little bit above the angels. Right? So there's this idea of authority idea of delegated authority. Okay, so God's so, uh, sovereign rule God's sovereign rule is by subjecting power. Hebrews 2.5 Let me read this to you real quick. Verse 5 For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Alright, so he said he it's not angels that God has subjected the world to come. Well, if it's not God, then who is it? All right, look at verse 8. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. At present, listen, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Right? He put everything into subjection, but we don't see everything into subjection. Follow this thought. Okay, so in the, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let it have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and, uh, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and so in the beginning god intended to delegate his authority to mankind we were to have dominion over the world there is some signs that we do have that dominion right because we can we can take flowers and make aromas we can take plants and make medication we can train elephants for circuses, we can train whales for SeaWorld, we can train horses to pull Budweiser parts, we can train dogs to be our pets, we can train uh, teach birds to say Polly wanna cracker. I mean we can we have dominion over animals. Can you imagine an elephant if he understood his strengths? Do you think he would listen to me? Right? Do you think shamu down there in SeaWorld knew how big he really was and how powerful he really was, do you think he would jump out of the water to catch a fish between two little uh, somebody's fingers? God gave us dominion. We were supposed to have authority over the world, right? But we lost it. Satan now is in control. Satan now has some of that authority. Genesis chapter 3, 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherub and a flaming sword, uh, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He didn't want us to get in and partake of the tree of life. We would have remained in that state. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge over your people. Michael the archangel has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. There was a nation until that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Job chapter 1 and verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan went from the presence of the Lord, and he went... And he took all of Job's wealth, health, and prosperity. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took Jesus to the very high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said, look, throw yourself over this cliff, do a few somersaults, a couple of tricks, and right before you hit the rock, summon the angels, and you'll have a following. People will come out just because you performed it. He said, do it my way. you do it my way, I'll give you the world. Why? Because I'm the one that has dominion in it right now, and I have the authority to give it. That's what Satan's trick does all the time. What was Jesus here to do? To To get the world back. How was he going to do it? By obeying his father. What does Satan do? Don't listen to your father. Listen to me. I have a better way. I'll do it. What did he do with Adam and Eve? What did God say to Adam? Let's make man in their image and likeness. What does Satan say to Eve? Oh, God knows if you eat, you'll be like him. That's the reason why he don't want you to eat it. So eat it and be like God, my way, rather than listening to God's way. That's what Satan does. He just twists scriptures. He takes God's promises and pretend it likes it's his to try to get, convince you to follow him rather than follow God. Why? Because he has some dominion. God is still... Over him, but he has some dominion. Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. And the and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 1 John 5, 19. We know that, that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But we know that we're God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedient. Right? You don't don't love the Lord? Listen, you're under the power of the devil. You love the Lord, you're not under the power of the devil, you're under the power of Christ. If you don't love the Lord and you're under the power of the devil, what does that mean? That means that Satan has come to you and promised you all kinds of things that God already promised, but you want to do it the devil's way rather than God's way. That's how God's worked from the very beginning. That's the power that God has given him and allowed him to exercise in the world that we now live in. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world, meaning the devil, meaning Satan, blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so... If the child of the devil, you don't understand scriptures, you can't see it, you don't care about it, right? Well, Satan has blinded your eyes, right? He has the authority to do that in this time, this day and age. First John, or excuse me, John 14:30, I will no long, longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. Thank the Lord for that. Jesus claimed the rule of man. He reclaimed the rule of man. John chapter 12 verse 31, now the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 16, 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Luke chapter twenty-two fifty-three. 53, when I was with you after uh, uh, day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness, right? How much control does Satan have over Jesus? He gave him one hour. You got one hour to do what you're going to do. And that's all all you get. Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with God having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt stood against us with the legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers of the and authorities and put them to open chain uh, shame by triumphing over them okay one of the things that god did because god wants man to have dominion over the world i'm going to get i'll talk more clearly about that in a moment but jesus is getting back the world why did one of the reasons why jesus christ had to become man it's because God wanted to give a man the world, and so Jesus became man so that God can give it to a man to give to us so that we can have dominion. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything can take a child of God out of the hands of God. How do you know that you're in the household of God? Because you're striving. Because you're holding firm. Right? This is how faith works sometimes. <clears throat> sometimes we're, we're, we're holding on to God. And life is getting really tough. Right? So if, if, if you're a weightlifter or do a lot of exercise, you're on a... You're on a Jungle gym or a bar, I don't know what they call it. Doing chin-ups, right? And you're holding. Right? It's, it's getting hard. It's getting difficult. Your arms are getting weak. Your, your, your fingers can no longer keep around the bar. You're starting to slip. You can't pull up any longer. Okay, when God is when God is testing our faith, sometimes we sometimes we think, ah, God, I gotta hold on. I, I can't let go. I, I got to hold on. I, and then all of a sudden, you're like, I just can't hold on anymore. You let go. Next thing you know, you, you, hit, the, you hit the floor if you're there in the gym. But for those of us who are believers, we, we just fall into the hands of God. And we realize that he has them. And then guess what? We don't struggle no more. We just hold the bar now because we know that the Lord has us. Right? Because it's him who has us, and we hold the bar. And we're striving with him, but it's not in our strength. Now it's in God's strength. Right? You know, you know how you know you're know you know the child of God? <clears throat> I wish I had my granddaughter here, because what I would do is I'd pass him to one of y'all. And I bet it wouldn't be long before it's crying out for me or for my wife. Why? Because she's not yours. She rests in my arms. She rests in her mom's arms. She rests in her dad's arms. But you're a stranger to them. Listen, if you're God's child, you're resting in his arms because you're not a stranger. You're resting in his word, right? You're, you're comforted by his words. You recognize his voice. My, my grandbaby won't know your voice. He'll know mine. I can calm him down real quick, right? But you can't because you don't have my voice. You don't know how to comfort him the way that I know how, Right? And so, and so if you're resting in Christ, if you're resting in his word, if you're holding fast to the truth, then you know you're God's. You know you're his child. All right? Uh, so the, the, the rule of man's confidence, 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The seeming insignificance of man, Psalm 8, is a... Is a uh, is, a, is considered a messianic psalm. This verse, Psalm eight, is also speaking in its context in history to mankind, and it says, "For a little while." In verse seven, angels have temporary reign. Devil and Satan, as angels, has temporary reign. So we're, we're 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 a little bit lower than the angels for a little while. Being lower than angels is also temporary. For us, Luke twenty thirty-five 35, 36, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither married nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So now we're lower than the angels. Then we're raised to be equal to the angels, but we're a little bit above the angels because we're the sons of God. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Revelations three twenty one, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquer and sat down with my father, On his throne, right? So Jesus at the right hand of God. He's going to raise us and we're going to sit with him on the throne. He's restoring our dominion. He's restoring restoring our authority, right? We, insignificant man, made from dirt, and God will allow him to reign in his kingdom. Now what does that look like? When we reign, when we what does that look like? Okay, uh, Romans chapter eight. It says that, the, that God subjected the world to fertility in hope. We know that God subjected the world to fertility because he's the only one that can subject the world to fertility in hope. In hope is key. It wasn't Adam that subjected the world to fertility because he can offer no hope. It wasn't Satan who subjected the world to fertility. Because he cannot offer no hope, but it was God who subjected the world to fertility in hope. Then it goes on to say that the world is groaning, waiting for the redemption of God's people. And we ourselves, you and I, also groan, waiting for that same redemption. And now, during that redemption, when we're at the right hand of God with dominion over the earth, what's it going to look at? Well, there's not going to be any more wars, any more rumors of world wars. There's not going to be any diseases, coronaviruses, cancer. Why? Because we're going to be back in authority. And the world's going to respond to us rather than us responding to this nasty world. Now disease has power over us. In heaven, disease won't have power over us anymore. You see it. God, God intended for this world to be in harmony with His children, and God is redeeming that and restoring that, so that the world is then then works with us rather than working against us. Now, you you plant a garden. You have uh, you have trees at home in your in your yard. My wife and I bought a house about a year ago, and we have all kinds of azalea trees and all kinds of ivy and different things. And and I got all these little stupid weeds and poison oak and poison ivy and and little prickly things and everything. And I'm always going down there and clipping them and pulling them out and clipping them or whatever. You plant a garden, if you don't keep up with the weeds, it's going to overtake your garden. You know what the Bible says about Heaven. We're gonna plant a garden, no weeds, and it's gonna produce the best vegetables and the best fruit you will ever imagine. You will have enough that, that you don't even have to worry about going to your neighbor because their garden is gonna have enough. You know why? Because we are gonna be in dominion and we're gonna have authority over the earth. And the earth is going to respond to us the way that God wanted it to in the very beginning. We see it through veil now. We can plant a garden. If we treat it right, we can work it pretty good. We can get some pretty good vegetables that taste pretty darn good. But in heaven, there's not going to be any fight. There's not going to be any worms getting into our vegetables. It's not going to rot, right? Every single one is going to be sweet and juicy. You're not going to have to worry probably about bitterness anymore. They're going to be good every time you pick it. You know why? Because we're going to be in dominion again. And the world, we're going to have authority over the world. And the world's going to respond to us the way that God intended it from the very beginning. All right? it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7. You were made a little while, you were, you were made for a little while lower than the angels and you have Crowned him with glory and honor. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, and Jesus will crown us with glory and honor. Now, this is fascinating. I'm going to talk about this next time uh, when we get down to verse 12. I won't. I won't get there yet. You got to come and hear that one. That's good. That's just good. But <clears throat> here, here's just a taste of it. Who's going to? Who's going to praise who in heaven? I asked this question before, so everybody first and probably knows that. That's why I'm looking over here. They'll probably answer it on me. But... Most of them would say, well, G- we're going to praise Jesus. And I didn't say worship. He's going to worship who? Jesus is going to, or we're going to worship Jesus in heaven. There's no worship. When it comes to praise, God's going to praise us. And we're going to praise God. What, what are you all waiting to hear? Is, is that not praise? you're waiting for jesus to praise you and he and he will and he is right now listen jesus is crowned with glory and honor jesus crowns us with glory and honor that word glory right what, what are we waiting for we right we're we're saved we're justified we're sanctified and we're glorified glorified What what is what is God's purpose? What is God doing now? One day, God wants the glory of the Lord to fill the earth, the way that the waters covers the sea. How does the water cover the sea? The water is the sea. The sea is the water. And one day, the glory of the Lord on the earth is going to be the way that the waters covers the sea. There's there's not going to be nothing but the glory of God. And guess what? You and I are going to be here. So what's God doing now? He's preparing and getting ready for that day when the glory of the Lord fills the earth, the way that the waters covers the sea. And he's doing that by how? Putting his glory in you. One person at a time sanctifying you, purifying you, getting ready to glorify you. Because in heaven, we're all going to be part of the glory of God. Having dominion, having having the authority of Christ in such a way that the world is going to respond to us and listen to us. There There ain't going to be no lions eating lambs. Gonna be any fights? You know why? Right, because we have authority. We're gonna be able to pet lions. You ever went to? want to go to the zoo and get in the lion cage and pet them, and wrestle them, and roll around with them, and pet them? In heaven, you're gonna be able to do that. Because we're gonna have authority. They're gonna to listen to us. They're not gonna fight us and eat us and attack us. Now listen. How how can you be sure? that you are going to have the authority of Christ, the dominion of Christ in heaven. The same way Jesus did. There was no exaltation until there was humiliation. There is no authority given until there was authority in subjection, right? You get a job, all right, go down. you go down to five minutes, okay, you go, go down to McDonald's, you get a job. Man, you're so excited, it's your first job, you wanna learn, you wanna move up. First thing that you have to do is submit to the shift leader. And you have to learn everything on your shift to the best of your knowledge. And then they say, dang, he can, he can do everything that I told you to do perfectly. He can do my job. Now I can move up. Now he has the authority over all those newcomers that are coming in. And now you're up there. I don't know what the next thing in McDonald's is. But now you're. Shift leader. Shift leader, store manager, whatever, right? It's when you come under subjection to another authority so that they can instill their authority in you that you can then exercise authority. It's the same thing until you bow yourself before the king of kings and lord of lords. And allow him to work his authority in you, you will never exercise the authority of God because of his humiliation before exaltation. So don't come in here with your high rise mindedness and thinking, I have the authority of Christ. Because you have no authority until you bow before his authority. None. Until you bow to his lordship. Until you bow to his kingship. If you want what I talked about this morning, it'll be on your knees before God. Not resisting his word. Not drifting from his word. Not rebelling against his word. Not shunning his word. But humbly coming under his authority. It's the only way to gain dominion in heaven. Is giving Christ the authority of your life now. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We ask, Father, for the humiliation that you require of us now before you exalt us, then bow our hearts before you open our minds to your truth give us a teachable spirit allow us to live under your authority so that one day we can live with your delegated authority in heaven and it's in christ's name we pray amen